Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Former President Trump calls for the release of documents related to the FBI's search of his home after the DOJ asks to unseal the warrant. The Inflation Reduction Act. It's set to pass the House today. Is it a good time in this era of inflation? And what impact will the green energy incentives have? We get some analysis from a finance expert. Providing false information about vaccine analysis. The CDC now admits to doing that, but not on purpose, they say. The IRS is looking for agents willing to use deadly force. The job posting is concerning some. A former agent shares his perspective on this. New data involving restrictions on semi-automatic rifles. Do these measures actually lower gun crime? The FBI data contradicts what some top lawmakers are saying. The tax fraud case against the Trump organization will keep moving forward. Today, a New York judge denied motions to dismiss the charges against former President Trump's company and its former chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg. Weisselberg and the Trump organization are accused of a 15-year tax fraud scheme. Prosecutors say the scheme let Weisselberg evade taxes on more than $1.7 million. The Trump Organization and Weisselberg have pleaded not guilty. The judge said jury selection is set to begin on October 24th. Former President Trump says he wants documents related to the FBI's search of his Mar-a-Lago home to be released. He made the announcement on his social media platform late last night. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. The Justice Department Thursday asked a judge to unseal the warrant and property receipt from the FBI search of Trump's estate. The request means we could learn more about what the FBI was looking for. Trump says he's not opposed to the release of the documents. He writes, I'm going a step further by encouraging the immediate release of those documents. He said he's encouraging it even though the documents were drawn up by possible future political opponents. Attorney General Merrick Garland told a press conference Thursday. First, I personally approve the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. Second, the department does not take such a decision lightly. Los Angeles criminal defense attorney Joshua Ritter says the FBI's search is completely unprecedented. It's really historically shocking. It's, it's hard to kind of understate um, how shocking it is from a historical perspective because you are executing a search warrant on a former sitting president. Ritter says it's also rare for the DOJ to release a warrant or an affidavit with a case that's still pending, which leads him to believe this might be the end of it. Perhaps this wasn't the, the tip of the iceberg, but perhaps it is the whole iceberg that this really all does come down to uh, the government trying to recover uh, these documents that they felt were um, you know, rightfully belonged with the archives uh, and part of the Presidential Records Act. Republicans in Congress have called on the Justice Department to release more information about the raid, with some arguing it appears to be politically motivated. And former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a Democrat, said the agencies need to provide answers. Cuomo tweeted, if the raid was only a search for archives, it'll be viewed as a political tactic. Trump suggested the raid is helping him in the polls and helping Republican fundraising. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Former President Donald Trump says connecting the FBI raid to nuclear weapons documents is a hoax. Anonymous sources told the Washington Post and other legacy media last night that the FBI were searching for documents related to nuclear weapons. It's not clear if the FBI agents recovered anything. But on Truth Social this morning, Trump likened the claims to the two impeachments, the Mueller investigation, and claims that he was a Russian agent, calling them all hoaxes. And in other news, the CDC is admitting it gave false information about analyzing vaccine data. It happened multiple times, but the agency says it didn't do so on purpose. Here's that story. The CDC has a team that analyzes reports submitted to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, also called VAERS. The team is supposed to study post-vaccine heart inflammation related to vaccines. In July, the Epoch Times submitted a Freedom of Information request to the CDC for all reports from that team. The CDC then said there weren't any from before October 2021, and that a connection between myocarditis and mRNA COVID-19 vaccines was not known at that time. That statement was false. 
Months before October 2021, the CDC had already acknowledged a connection between heart inflammation and COVID-19 vaccines. A spokeswoman then said the team began analyzing myocarditis in May 2021. She added that no CDC employees intentionally provided false information. The CDC still hasn't released the reports. Then there's data mining. The CDC said in January 2021 that it would perform a specific type of data mining analysis on VAERS reports called Proportional Reporting Ratio, or PRR. But when a nonprofit asked for the results, the CDC said they didn't run any PRRs. Asked for clarification, the head of the VAERS team told the Epic Times that they started performing PRRs in February 2021. The CDC is now saying that both the original response and the head's clarification were false. They now say they started performing PRRs more than a year later in March of this year, and they stopped at the end of July. The CDC hasn't released those reports either. The spokeswoman said they misinterpreted the question earlier. Agents willing to use deadly force. That's what the IRS is looking for. Some are wondering why a tax agency needs that. The job advertisement for IRS special agents that are willing to use deadly force is raising eyebrows. The tax agency is already in the spotlight because it could soon double its workforce. The IRS has stockpiled 5 million rounds of ammunition and spent $750,000 this year to buy more. That's according to Florida Congressman Matt Gates. A former IRS agent told NTD that some agents respond to dangerous situations where they might encounter armed criminals. He says it's important for these agents to be able to defend themselves. And an update on the man who threatened to detonate a bomb near the U.S. Capitol almost a year ago, but had no bombs. He's set to be released from jail under house arrest. 50-year-old Floyd Roseberry drove from North Carolina to Washington, D.C. last August and falsely claimed he had a bomb. A judge determined Thursday that the man was suffering side effects from improper medication. His lawyers say he suffers mental health issues from a traumatic childhood. A psychologist told the court two of his drugs have adverse side effects when taken together and could cause manic and psychotic episodes. He'll be released under house arrest and will be monitored by an ankle bracelet. Roseberry has pleaded not guilty. A trial date is not set yet. Off-duty officers can once again carry firearms at the upcoming New York State Fair. That's a policy U-turn from a day earlier, but a return to the historical norm. New York Sheriff's Association Executive Director Peter Kehoe said, quote, an officer doesn't suddenly become a menace just because he's not on the police patrol anymore at that particular moment. He said pushback from the law enforcement community likely caused the state to ditch the ban. Mount Hope Police Department Chief Paul Rickard told the Epic Times that the ban made the public less safe. He said, quote, if there is an active shooter and you have armed off-duty officers, they can immediately act. The Great New York State Fair typically attracts more than one million visitors and is set to run from August 24th to September 5th in Syracuse. A bill that would restrict certain semi-automatic rifles just passed the House and will soon get a vote in the Senate. But not all of the claims about the bill are backed by facts. Here are the details. The bill would reinstate a 1994 federal assault weapon ban. Pelosi recently said in a House debate that during the 10 years the ban was in effect, quote, we witnessed gun crime with assault weapons drop by up to 40 percent. But that claim is not backed by the FBI's annual reports. John Lott, the president of crime research, dug into the FBI data from law enforcement agencies on homicides by weapon type. He said the percentage of firearm murders with any type of rifles was 4.8 percent prior to the ban starting in 1994. During the 10-year ban, homicide by rifle was 4.9 percent of all firearm murders. Then, rifle homicides dropped to 3.6 percent after the ban expired in 2004. During the 10 years of the ban, homicide rates dropped and then remained level after the ban was lifted. The number of homicides by rifle followed the larger trend. President Biden in June said in the 10 years it was law, mass shootings went down. But after Republicans let the law expire in 2004 and those weapons were allowed to be sold again, mass shootings tripled. But an Epic Times investigation into mass shootings showed that they went up and down during the time period in question. There was no pattern of mass shootings in that 10-year period. The CDC also published a report in 2003 evaluating the effectiveness of firearm laws and studied the assault weapon ban. It said that studies were inconsistent and thus concluded that, quote, evidence was insufficient to determine the effectiveness of the law. What's more, the nonpartisan Congressional Research Service studied the impact of the 1994 assault weapon ban and concluded, 
While tragic and shocking, public mass shootings account for a few of the murders or non-negligent homicides related to firearms that occur annually in the United States. Just ahead, rents in Manhattan are soaring to a record high, forcing many tenants to leave the city. An economist looks into the issue. And a new way to cool down in Southern California, the Tourism Board for Seattle has set up a rain booth to give Californians a taste of the Washington climate. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. The House is expected to pass the Inflation Reduction Act today. It's almost certain to become law. Some are questioning the timing of this bill amid record high inflation, and others say they're thrilled about the tax breaks to incentivize green energy. I wanted to learn more about this, so I spoke with a finance expert. Joining us now to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act is Michael Bussler, who is a professor of finance at Stockton University. Thank you for your time today, Michael. Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. They really um, didn't name this Inflation Reduction Act correctly. It should be uh, exactly the opposite. This will not reduce inflation and it will not speed up uh, economic growth. Right now, we're in a period of very high inflation, uh, as, as you know. Um, even though we had a slight pause last month, we still have a very severe uh, inflation problem, and the economy is in recession. We had six months of negative growth in GDP, regardless of how they frame that, we're in a recession. So uh, what we really have is what we call stagflation, a stagnant economy with inflation. The last time we had this was during the Carter administration. The way to get out of it uh, is the Federal Reserve is going to have to raise interest rates, which they're doing, to get inflation down. And then you have to worry about getting out of the recession. So we have inflation because we have excess demand in the economy. In the last three fiscal years, counting 2022, which is over at the end of September, the federal government will have spent $7 trillion more than they brought in in tax revenue. On a $23 trillion economy, that excess demand is very inflationary. So the worst thing to be doing at this time when you have excess demand is to continue to government spend and add more excess uh, demand. Very detailed analysis, Michael. And you mentioned taxes and demand. Speaking of supply and demand, how would the tax credits surrounding green energy benefit Americans? And do you think that this is fiscally responsible? Um, it, It will benefit Americans if you believe we have a very severe climate crisis and we need to act on it uh, immediately. Whatever it takes to do, we'll do it. That's what the Biden administration says. However, the American public must not want that. And why not? If the American public wanted it, there would be sufficient demand in the economy that you wouldn't have to give rebates. What the rebates do is try to stimulate demand when there isn't demand there to be stimulated. And again, it increases government spending because whatever it is, $7,500 uh, tax credit, if you buy car, uh, buy an electric car, whatever kind of tax credits are in there, uh, it means government is not raising the uh, tax revenue. They're essentially increasing uh, spending, and that's going to make the problem even even worse. Fiscally, this is not the time to be doing that. Very glad to have your analysis today. Michael Bussler at Stockton University, thank you for your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Look forward to doing it again. Manhattan's housing market is bouncing back from the pandemic, and the soaring rents are forcing many long-term residents to give up their apartments altogether. Here are the details. It's one of my favorite colors. Jerry Weinberger has been living in Manhattan since 2015. When she signed her lease for this Upper East Side studio in October 2021, she got a deal of $1,833 per month, when the original price was $2,100. But that grew significantly in less than a year. I just got my lease renewal in the mail from my landlord about a week, two weeks ago. Uh, And they said they're raising the rent for my apartment to $2,500. So that's quite a large jump from $1,833 to $2,500. Weinberger reached out to her landlord and tried to negotiate a price, but that didn't work out. She says she expected the rent to increase, but not by this much. They said that the reason is this is the market price. They said, you know, rents have gone up 40% even in Brooklyn and in even Harlem, all these places. So that there was nothing I could do. And if I had to leave, then oh well, because they have other people who want to live here. Weinberger says she can't justify $2,500 a month. 
so she plans to move to Jersey City soon. Kenny Lee, an economist with Street Easy, says renters are being squeezed out because there aren't many listings, even though the number of properties available has been rising steadily. So we looked into the data to really find out what's going on, and we realized that a lot of uh, renters are being priced out of their current home as the landlords seek to reverse the pandemic deals they offered during 2020 and 2021. Manhattan's median asking rent soared to $4,100 by the end of the second quarter. That's equivalent to 55% of the borough's monthly medium household income. The rent price increases in New York City have not really peaked yet. And given how low the current inventory is for the rental market, I think the rent should continue to increase uh, at least a few more months through the end of summer or perhaps into early fall. I think there are some reports that there are some there is some stabilization of rent prices on a national level. We're not seeing that yet in New York City. Lee says tenants priced out of their homes likely account for more than one third of the city's available rentals. The U.S. Postal Service plans to raise prices during the holiday season. This will be the third year they do so. The Postal Service says the price hike will offset rising delivery costs. The increases will range from $0.25 cents to $6 per package. They will cover individual and business mailings for Priority Mail, Priority Mail Express, and First Class packages. It will start on October 2nd and last through January 22nd. The Postal Regulatory Commission still has to give the green light for the higher rates to go into effect. California has a new water strategy. It relies on capturing more of the water that flows out to sea. Here's Governor Gavin Newsom explaining the plan. Pumping that water and restoring our groundwater basins, addressing the issues of subsidence and providing uh, a much more cost-efficient approach to addressing the issues of storage. The new strategy prioritizes capturing and storing more stormwater, recycling water already in the system, and desalinizing seawater. The state has set aside more than $8 billion in the past three years to modernize water infrastructure. The plan is to build storage for 4 million acre-feet of water and recycle 800,000 acre-feet per year by 2030. An acre-foot of water is generally considered enough to supply two urban households per year. Newsom says the strategy would generate enough water for 8.4 million households. California and the West have experienced a mega drought since the turn of the century. The average daytime temperature in Southern California is currently 90 degrees. The tourism board for Seattle set up a rain booth there to give Californians a taste of their Pacific Northwest climate. Here are the details. People in Los Angeles are used to sunny, hot weather and are mostly strangers to rain. But for a brief moment, they can pretend they're in Seattle, a city famous for its rainfall. It's a beautiful, sunny, hot day in Venice Beach, and we've brought a little refreshing Seattle rain to this hot afternoon. So we're inviting uh, everyone and anyone to come into the Seattle rain booth to cool off, to feel refreshed, uh, and feel a little of the Seattle romance and what the rain brings. Visitors sang, danced, kissed, and frolicked in the rain and had their photo taken with the Seattle skyline in the background. They also get a free image of their rainy experience. What do the visitors have to say about the rain booth? It's pretty cool on a day that's about 90 on the beach that we never have, so it's pretty, it's pretty nice. I appreciate it. It makes me miss Seattle. It was, it was very nice because it's very hot out today, so it was um, nice to feel that rain. You know, it was good. It definitely felt a little bit weird having lots of people stare. Yeah. I've had like a photographer take a picture, but seeing lots of people. Uh, watching us is kind of weird. It was. Yeah. No, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I'm really like ecstatic you guys are doing it out here. Also, it's super hot, so yeah. the rain feels great. <laughs> I appreciate it. While some used the booth as an Instagram opportunity, there were others who had an emotional response to the rain. So many smiles, right? The world needs more joy right now. And to see people in here and smiling, there was a little baby that was just like putting its little paws in the rain. And you could tell it probably hadn't seen the rain in a while. A gentleman said he hasn't seen the rain in six months and he put his head in it and it was just like that's what the world needs, joy. The Seattle-style rain booth is headed to other hot locations in the U.S. Its next stop is the Arizona desert. Scott Peterson's trial attorney says he missed an opportunity to grill a California juror about bias. That juror eventually helped send Peterson to death row for murdering his pregnant wife and unborn child. 
The California Supreme Court upheld Peterson's conviction but overturned his death sentence in 2020. Now, Peterson's appellate lawyer is arguing that the former fertilizer salesman deserves a new trial because of juror misconduct. Attorney Cliff Gardner alleges juror Rochelle Nice was biased and lied to get on the jury that convicted Peterson in 2004. He says it was a mistake not to question Nice after seeing her jury questionnaire. On the questionnaire, she admitted that she could not fairly look at the case. Nice also failed to disclose that she filed a lawsuit and had sought a restraining order while pregnant because of threats from her boyfriend's ex-girlfriend. She also failed to disclose that a boyfriend beat her in 2001 while she was pregnant with another child. Nice testified that she may have improperly answered questions, but did so truthfully because she forgot. Johnson & Johnson plans to stop selling talc-based baby powder globally in 2023. It's been over two years after it ended U.S. sales of the product after thousands of consumer safety lawsuits. Johnson & Johnson says it will transition to a cornstarch-based baby powder recipe. In 2020, the company stopped selling its talc baby powder in the United States and Canada. At that time, the company said demand had fallen due to what is called misinformation about the product's safety. The company faces about 38,000 lawsuits from consumers and their family members claiming its talc products caused cancer. Legal claims say the powder was contaminated with asbestos. Johnson & Johnson denies the allegations, saying decades of scientific testing and regulatory approvals have shown its talc to be safe and asbestos-free. On Thursday, it reiterated the statement as it announced the discontinuation of the product. Social media video shows rain gushing through the ceiling of a casino in Las Vegas Thursday. The video was filmed in the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino. The uploader joked on Twitter, quote, not sure if it's raining more inside or outside. Local media reported flooding on Las Vegas' famous strip during the storm. The city in the Nevada desert normally receives just over four inches of rain per year, mostly during monsoon season. And this year, it's particularly wet. The same casino also busted a leak in late July. A power outage struck Toronto's downtown area yesterday. One of the city's biggest shopping malls was evacuated as businesses were left in the dark. Reports allege that a barge carrying a crane came into contact with high-voltage transmission lines. Ontario's biggest electricity distribution company, Hydro One, is investigating. The company is trying to reroute power to Toronto Hydro, which distributes electricity in downtown Toronto. Toronto Hydro said nearly 10,000 customers were affected. Branches of the biggest banks in the area were locked and several people were trapped in elevators. The Toronto Stock Exchange said its offices temporarily lost power, but its systems did not. The University of Toronto said some buildings were impacted. NORAD says Russian military planes skirted close to U.S. airspace at least three times this week. The U.S. military released this photo of the second time a Russian plane flew into the Alaskan Air Defense Identification Zone on Monday. The photo shows a U.S. fighter jet flying within visual range of a Russian surveillance aircraft. F-22 fighter jets intercepted the plane, and officials say it never entered American or Canadian sovereign airspace. Then NORAD reported a Russian military aircraft again flew into the Alaskan Air Defense Identification Zone sometime between Monday and Wednesday. The Air Defense Identification Zone is the airspace around U.S. sovereign airspace. The U.S. monitors it in the interests of national security. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, some countries in South America are seeking closer trade ties with China, while others are staying cautious. The U.S. warns that Chinese regime is using trade as political leverage in the region. And South Korea's president has pardoned the vice chairman of Samsung Electronics. The country says he is needed to overcome their economic woes. Find out more in just a minute here on NTD News. Welcome back. A senior military commander said the United States is committed to preventing conflict and war around Asia. U.S. troops are in Indonesia for joint drills. Uh, The destabilizing actions by the PRC as it applied to 
the threatening activities and actions against Taiwan is exactly what uh, we are trying to avoid. And I can tell you from my seat, I spend every waking minute doing everything to ensure we are preventing conflict in the region. The joint drills are being conducted amid heightened tensions in East Asia after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan despite threats from Beijing. The Indonesian military says at least 5,000 troops from 14 countries are participating in the drills. The commander of the Indonesian Armed Forces stressed that the drill is a regular event and has been held 16 times. He said it was not a response to China's recent military exercises in the Taiwan Strait. The exercises are known as the Super Garuda Shield and started on August 3rd. In previous years, it was a joint military exercise involving the U.S. and Indonesia. This year, it is much larger in scope and includes many Pacific nations and others. Latvia and Estonia have announced they will withdraw from the cooperation group between China and Central and Eastern European countries. Following Lithuania last year, they bring the number of countries exiting the group to three. Their decision comes amid growing Western criticism of the Chinese Communist regime. That's especially after Beijing's military aggression over Taiwan and its leaning toward Russia during the war in Ukraine. According to Latvia's foreign ministry, in the current international climate, it no longer serves the country's strategic goals to remain in the China group. Both Latvia and Estonia have stated that their future relations with China will parallel respect for human rights and a rules-based international order. Cooperation with China remains for a dozen other countries in the group, including Greece, Hungary, and Poland. And some countries in South America are seeking a trade zone with communist China, while others are staying cautious. That's as the U.S. warns of the Chinese regime's infiltration into the region using trade as political leverage. Let's take a look. Uruguay will push for a free trade agreement with the Chinese regime. That update comes from the South American country's top diplomat. The effort has already seen resistance from some of its neighbors. They favor regional trade talks instead of deals involving just one nation. The plan was announced as the Mercosur trade bloc countries held their annual summit. There they discussed opening the South American trade zone to China. The bloc consists of Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay and Paraguay. Argentina's president is also in favor of common negotiations with China. In the same way as we did with Singapore, which was possible, if there's any possibility to think of an agreement between Mercosur and China, why don't we analyze it together? Why don't we see its common feasibility? The agreement will be more important if we add Brazil's 200 million population. It will be stronger. Also, take into account that among us four, there's a country that already has commercial ties with China. Why don't we think of us as what we are, a single space? The Uruguayan president said his country will launch formal trade negotiations with communist China. That's in order to boost exports of raw materials, industrialized products and technology. For years, Beijing has sought closer trade ties with the emerging markets of Latin America. But the U.S. has warned about the Communist Party's efforts to use trade ties as political leverage and to help expand its influence in the region. The U.S. also voiced concern that Beijing's involvement in Latin American infrastructure projects could create unsustainable debt burdens for the countries involved, or even national security worries, given Beijing's history of espionage activities. Paraguay's president is asking for caution, saying the countries should study the possible impacts before signing up for anything with Beijing. We have to evaluate the individual impact to each state member of every commercial agreement we individually negotiate with different economies. Paraguay does not have diplomatic relations with the Chinese communist regime. Instead, it's one of the few countries that maintains diplomatic ties with Taiwan. In a previous interview, Brazilian journalist Rafael Fontana highlighted the Chinese Communist Party's infiltration into Latin America, especially Brazil. The Brazilian government was blackmailed by the Chinese regime. Uh, if Brazil didn't allow Huawei to build the 5G infrastructure inside the country, China wouldn't sell coronavirus vaccines to Brazil. Fontana worked as a journalist in China. 
After returning to Brazil, Chinese telecom giant Huawei hired him as a PR director. Through that relationship, he got an inside look into how the regime operates. When I was interviewed by the vice president of the communications in Brazil, I realized that he was a member of the CCP. A few days later, I attended a meeting in Sao Paulo, and all the top exec executives in the office were members of the party. Experts say if America continues to turn a blind eye, Beijing may take over Washington's place in the region, something that could threaten the U.S. Hundreds are displaced in South Korean capital Seoul. The poorest neighborhoods are still recovering from its heaviest rains in 115 years and the resulting flooding. Here's more. In the South Korean capital, cleanup efforts after this week's deadly floods are underway. For 50-year-old Shilim resident Hyun Sig, that means bailing out water of his lower ground floor apartment using a plastic bowl. His situation bears uncomfortable similarities with the sewage-flooded semi-basement apartment depicted in the Oscar-winning South Korean film Parasite, a tale of growing social disparity in Asia's fourth-largest economy. I live in a half-basement flat. I have to throw away all my belongings, computer and even dishes. I can't do anything about it. It happened because the poor live here and we don't have much money. It rained so much this time and this became a disaster. I had lived with hopes of living like other people, but that hope has disappeared due to this situation. I'm frustrated about how I should live here from now on. Now I have nothing to live on. While wealthier parts of the capital, such as glitzy Gangnam, have already begun to return to normal, large swathes of low-income districts, such as Shalim, remain inundated. On Monday, three family members living in the neighbourhood, including a woman with developmental disabilities, drowned in their lower ground apartment. Overall, at least 10 people have perished as a result of the torrential rain, which knocked out power lines, caused landslides and submerged roads and subways, both across the capital and in neighbouring provinces. Although South Korea often experiences torrential rain during the summer, According to Korea's Meteorological Administration, it's the heaviest in 115 years. It added that as of Wednesday, six people are still missing, and 570 have at least temporarily lost their homes. An official at the Guanax district office, which covers Shilim, said that recovery efforts can be slower there due to the concentration of tiny apartments and houses lining the narrow streets. Hein Sig believes it will take him 10 days to get his apartment back to the point where he would move back in. He said the only help the government had offered was for temporary shelter at a gymnasium, which he rejected. Drownings in Seoul's parasite-style apartments have raised concerns about safety in those housing conditions. Seoul is planning to ban the construction of basement apartments. Officials said starting this week, the city will no longer issue permits to build underground and semi-underground apartments. Existing houses will be gradually renovated. Meanwhile, Seoul is proposing revisions to its building law to ban the use of basement space for residential purposes. South Korea's president pardoned Samsung Electronics Vice Chairman J.Y. Lee on Friday. The country's justice ministry said the business leader is needed to help overcome a national economic crisis. Samsung Electronics Vice Chairman and former leader J.Y. Lee, who was once jailed for bribery, was pardoned by South Korea's President Yoon suk Yeol on Friday. The act, however, was largely symbolic. Lee is already out on parole, released last year after serving 18 months in jail. But South Korea's justice minister said the move was weighed against more pressing issues. With an urgent need to overcome the national economic crisis, we carefully selected economy leaders who lead the national growth engine through active technology investment and job creation to be pardoned. By giving them a chance to take part in the economic development once again, we would like to maximize our efforts to overcome the economic crisis. South Korea is grappling with inflation, and there are signs it's struggling with weak demand and a spending slowdown. It's also heavily dependent on tech and exports, and Samsung is by far the biggest of the country's conglomerates, as well as the biggest maker of smartphones and memory chips in the world. Analysts believe the presidential pardon could grant Lee more freedom to conduct business and may mean big M&A moves are around the corner.
Others warn that legal risks still persist as Lee still faces charges of fraud and stock manipulation in another ongoing trial. Lee, who is a descendant of Samsung's founding family, welcomed the decision and vowed to work hard for the national economy. Lee had already returned to the limelight long before his pardon. Last November, Samsung decided on Taylor, Texas as the site of a new $17 billion chip plant, while in May, Lee appeared alongside President Yoon and U.S. President Joe Biden on a visit to Samsung's chip production facilities. Coming up, shelling around Europe's biggest nuclear power plant during the conflict between Ukraine and Russia has raised international fears. And inflation is hitting farmers in Albania hard. Many of them are struggling with rising costs of fuel and pesticides. Find out more on what's happening here on NTD News. Russia and Ukraine have accused each other of shelling Europe's biggest nuclear power plant. That's as the United Nations chief proposed a demilitarized zone at the site amid fears of a catastrophe. Shelling near Europe's biggest nuclear power plant in southern Ukraine has stirred alarm among local officials, the United Nations and the International Atomic Energy Agency. Ukraine has in recent days warned of the risk of a Chernobyl-style nuclear disaster. And on Thursday, Ukraine's interior minister said they had to be ready for any scenario at the Russian-controlled Zaporizhia plant. Russia seized the plant in March. It's still run by its Ukrainian technicians, but officials say those workers are not allowed into certain areas to do their job properly. And on Thursday, Moscow and Kyiv blamed each other for a renewed shelling. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on Thursday strongly condemned what he called Russia's nuclear terrorism. UN chief Antonio Gutierrez urgently called for a demilitarized zone around the plant, a call echoed by IAEA chief Rafael Grossi, who briefed the 15-member UN Security Council at the request of Russia. These military actions, dear colleagues, near such a large nuclear facility could lead to very serious Russia's UN ambassador urged IAEA representatives to visit the plant as soon as possible, saying the world was being pushed to the brink of nuclear catastrophe, comparable in scale with Chernobyl. Farmers in Albania are struggling to cope with the rising cost of living. They're calling for government support to help waiver the price hikes in fuel and pesticides. Here are the details. Like much of Europe, Albania has seen a hike in the prices of basic food products and fuel since the war in Ukraine began. My life and my family is committed to this job because I have no other way out. I said after all these years and moving here, I could make such a choice. But the prices of the pesticides, of the chemicals and the others have reached a peak. I cannot afford them. I cannot afford because they are expensive everywhere. This is a special plant which needs special chemicals. Pesticides are needed to grow all kinds of produce. The rise in the price of pesticides has been impacting his profit margins. I wanted to do something and planted grain, and also because of the war in Ukraine. The war has been good for some, not for others. For some, it was good as the price of pesticides increased, and while for us, farmers with 220 pounds of grain, the price has lowered. It is not good for me to sell it. Another farmer has also been struggling to maintain his land and 10 cows. First of all, I would like the state government to help with the chemical pesticides, and then the diesel. I have a truck, a vehicle which I can hardly keep, and the other agricultural machinery. We have understood the issue with the diesel since the war started. According to data from the World Bank, almost a third of Albania's population live on less than $5.50 per day. An agricultural expert says he thinks extra funding is needed to support farmers. Especially keeping farmers in the market, because under these pressures, local farmers could fail to survive. And these rumors, which are only sporadic statements at the moment, might become true. In the coming months, we might hear farmers abandoning production and land plowing and immigrating. Poverty is a problem faced by many farmers in Albania. Many of them, especially the younger generation, have left the country. A dust devil in England. It's a sight rarely seen in the country. The unique wind phenomenon followed heat waves and warm spells. 
This video was taken by Durham and Darlington County Fire Rescue. The footage shows a whirlwind spinning through a field just scorched by a wildfire. Winds in a dust devil funnel can reach 60 miles per hour. They most often occur in the desert or forest and usually happen during peak sunlight hours. The phenomenon is often accompanied by warm weather, which isn't common in England, but for the time being, parts of the country are riding a second summer heat wave. Temperatures are expected to go above 86 degrees in the coming days. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, divers in Denmark are planting new carbon-capturing meadows of eelgrass. The marine plants will help restore a degraded fjord. It's part of a five-year project run by the University of Southern Denmark. And Italy is testing the country's first electric-powered self-driving shuttle. It navigates with 3D maps and can find its way through city traffic just like a regular car. See it in action in just a minute here on NTD News. Good to have you back. An Australian court says Google misled users in the country. That's to get permission to use their personal data. Now the company is ordered to pay. An Australian court on Friday ordered Google to pay the equivalent of over 40 million U.S. dollars. The fine is for misleading consumers to get permission to use their data for targeted advertising. The verdict comes as Australian authorities look to limit the dominance of big tech companies. Google in Australia combined personal information in Google accounts with browsing activities on non-Google websites without getting clear consent from users. Dozens of people were injured at an amusement park in Germany. Local police say a roller coaster crashed at Legoland in Gunsberg Thursday. 31 people were hurt and 15 taken to the hospital. One person had severe but not life-threatening injuries. Investigations are ongoing to determine what caused the accident. And underwater gardeners in Denmark are planting new carbon-capturing eelgrass meadows. The added plants will help restore a degraded fjord, a narrow body of water that stretches inland. Scientists say the country has lost an estimated 80 to 90 percent of eelgrass beds that used to be lush growing along these steep inlets. And today's Andrew Thomas has the details. Diving into the waters of a Danish fjord, these underwater gardeners are planting and pruning for a better future. It's part of a five-year project run by the University of Southern Denmark. The eelgrass of the seagrass is uh, fundamental to life in Vejlefjord and into our inner, inner uh, seas in Denmark. It's like a nursery for the small fishes. Uh, it's like the, the forests of the sea. Viley Fjord on Jutland's east coast has seen years of degradation, mainly due to dirty water discharge from the land and the city. Divers take surviving grass from remaining beds and wrap individual shoots around a degradable iron nail. Divers then pin them to the sea floor. What we do is we transplant eelgrass from one mother bed. We still have eelgrass uh, in our fjord, but not that much. But we can take and transplant from the good areas into the remaining uh, desert part of the fjord. The degradation is not just bad for the fish and wildlife habitat, it's also bad for the climate because the meadows are effective at storing carbon dioxide. We've been calculating a little bit on this and without going into details on the, on the scale, we know that uh, the fixation of carbon is just as much as it is in the, in the rainforest of Brazil. So there is a, a huge potential. At a similar project nearby, plant density grew up to 70 times higher and fields with transplants extended by approximately 30%. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A self-driving bus has taken to the streets of the northern Italian city of Turin. It's the country's first autonomous vehicle tested for use as public transportation. The electric-powered shuttle was developed by French startup Navia. It stands 12 feet long and 6 feet wide. The bus can reach a top speed of 15 miles per hour with a capacity of 14 passengers. Equipped with sensors and GPS, it can detect obstacles like cars, bicycles, or pedestrians. A 3D map of the street helps it navigate through city traffic just like normal vehicles. But the bus also features a driver on board to maneuver manually whenever necessary. 
The shuttle will run a free test without passengers until October. After that, it will begin service on a one-mile route in Turin. Coming up, highly trained detection dogs learn to sniff for USBs, microchips, and hard drives. The canine efforts are set to help combat child abuse and terrorism across Australia. We'll bring you the details in just a minute here at NTD News. Argentinian scientists presented the first armored two-legged South American dinosaur yesterday. The species is believed to have lived in Patagonia around 100 million years ago. Pieces of bones found in the Rio Negro province showed the nearly five-foot-long primitive creature survived in South America. One of the leading scientists conducting the study said so far there is no record from any age when dinosaurs from this group existed in the whole southern hemisphere. The only species known were found in the UK and Europe and date back to the early Jurassic era. That's over 150 million years ago. The species had protector skeletons like today's crocodiles, meaning they covered their necks, backs, and tails. The animals also resemble today's iguanas in that they had teeth shaped like leaves. And highly trained sniffer dogs can detect all kinds of contraband. Now, a select few have added USBs, microchips, and hard drives to their list to help combat child abuse and terrorism across Australia. Dogs are frequently used by law enforcement to sniff out explosives and drugs. But this clever canine has learned a new skill, using her incredible nose to sniff out USBs and hard drives. The dogs that we currently have out there um, predominantly search for USBs, microchips, any form of digital media that carries memory. The digital storage items can reveal new evidence in cases and contain files that police use to identify criminals. These dogs specifically target those items that might otherwise be missed in a search. Only the top dogs are selected for this job. We require the top 1% of dogs that we see through the program to succeed in this discipline. The dogs are picked from as young as nine weeks old for a strenuous training program. It's every day from morning to afternoon and some night shifts there as well too. And it's been a, about a three month process to just get these dogs out and working. At the end of the day, the dogs are rewarded for their hard work with some playtime. Their only paycheck is to get a big play and a big game at the end of doing something right. The dogs have helped solve crimes all over Australia. Currently, they've been deployed in more than 70 operations and found more than 300 items. Thanks to their success, the program has been expanded to Victoria, South Australia, and Western Australia. Currently, there are nine dogs working and another two in training. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Volunteers in New Zealand are leading a dolphin rescue program. Several of these animals were stranded on a remote beach north of Auckland. Footage shows rescuers carrying buckets into the water and wrapping towels around beached dolphins. That's to keep them hydrated until the tide is high enough to float them back to sea. The group, known as Project Jonah, is dedicated to the rescue of stranded whales and dolphins. Seven of the nine dolphins stranded so far have been saved. Among them is at least one calf. New Zealand has the highest stranding rate of dolphins and whales in the world. Hundreds of animals are washed ashore each year, but the reason why remains a mystery. When was the last time you ate pomegranate? This giant berry includes a potent mix of compounds, boosting its health value and popularity. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Have you eaten the seeds of the pomegranate? These delicious, bright red little gems have a multitude of uses. Yes, their tough outer shell makes it tricky to get into the fruit, but persevere. There are plenty of videos online to guide you on how to do this. Pomegranates are an ancient fruit. They have appeared in Greek and Roman mythology. They symbolize fertility and are associated with Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. Today, scientists recognize the health benefits in the seeds and juice. Let's see what it can do for us. Drinking the juice of pomegranates can reduce blood pressure. It's good for cardiovascular health. Pomegranate also contains phytoestrogens, so they're useful in preventing any menopausal-related symptoms. They contain antibacterial compounds. This helps eliminate microorganisms, including bacteria, yeasts, and fungi. 
This can help with bad breath and tooth decay. Pomegranates boost bone and joint health. That's important for everyone, especially women around menopause. Studies have shown how pomegranate prevents heart inflammation and the buildup of plaque in the arteries. This resulted in the reduction of associated chest pain. Consuming this fruit reduces inflammation that's behind many serious diseases and health problems. Diabetics benefit from the juice due to anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. Pomegranate extract supports urinary health and guards against kidney stone development. Pomegranate properties are also useful in preventing brain degeneration. For example, with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease, it's the anti-inflammatory and antioxidant compounds that reduce oxidative stress. There are many ways to use them daily. You can try them in smoothies, as a fruit or vegetable topping, with yogurt, and healthy desserts, with cereals, as a garnish on grilled meat or fish, in a dip as a snack and you can also snap freeze them. Just conquer the challenges of getting into these fruits and the health benefits will be yours. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.